0: Now today I want to, we're, doing something, we're not doing our study in Acts today, uh, we're taking a break from that. We have uh, today a Vision and Giving Sunday where uh, I'm going to kind of split the sermon into two uh, today um, and uh, I'll explain a little bit more of what we're doing as we go along. But I want to read a passage first from Romans uh, chapter uh, 12. It's on, your bulletin, it's on your bulletin sheet, the reading. I'm actually going to read from a, a verse previous to that. I'm going to read the doxology at the end of Romans chapter 11 and then move on to Romans uh, chapter 12 through to verse 8. So in verse 33 of the previous chapter, it says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has given to him that he might be repaid, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you that you must not think of himself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as uh, in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another— having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, prophecy in proportion to our faith, service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Amen. And may God add his blessing to that reading this morning. Now, what I'm going to do this morning is uh, split uh, the sermon into two bits. So the first part, we're going to look at vision, uh, our vision as a church. And I've, I've done this before. Don't fo- I, it's going to be hard today. I, I'm battling already. I can tell because the heating system is like pumping out boiling hot uh, heaters. We can't stop it. It's going to, the whole building will explode by 3 o'clock this afternoon unless we can unplug some things somewhere. So it's really hot, sun's beating down, and I've just told you, you've heard it before. So there has to be a work of the Holy Spirit to keep uh, us all going today. But what I want to do first of all is talk about vision, and then we're going to sing, uh, and we'll, we're going to take up an offering for uh, church planting, I'll say a little bit about that, and then I'm going to speak about uh, giving for a short uh, while today, all in the context of the gospel and the work of the gospel and our responsibilities that we have here. So, Romans chapter 12 is the kind of uh, passage uh, embedding uh, these thoughts in. Um, And what I'm hoping to do and trying to do is remind us of of why we're here, really. Why we're a community, why we're together, and what our, if you could call it our gospel DNA is, what, what it is that it's not that it sets us apart from anyone else. I don't think that's the case at all. But it's the kind of things that we focus on in the leadership, kind of things that are important to us, not just because they're important in a congregational life, but I think they're important in our personal lives as Christians. And uh, we seek to understand and know these priorities because they, they, uh, they affect how we, we treat one another as well. They affect how we come together in worship. They affect uh, our whole attitude to being part of the body of Christ. And we have always uh, sought to maintain simplicity by so doing. You know, if you have a clear vision, if you have a clear understanding of what we're about, then that does aid us in trying to keep things simple. And as the church has grown, that is very difficult to do. But it's important that we do have at least an understanding of the vision that we share and what grounds us in the truth uh, for our own unique uh, situation that God has uh, placed us in. And there's that as people join us and as we grow as a congregation, then we want to remember and have a a little bit of continuity of vision. So I'm going to say four things very quickly. You know what they are. They're the four G's that we have that we've looked at before. Kind of the pillars, the spiritual pillars that undergird the work that we do here the glory of god the gospel the grace of god and growth these are four things that are really important very quickly remind ourselves of these today the glory of god that's why i read from uh, the previous uh, the end of the previous chapter in romans which reminds us of uh, this great doxology of the greatness of god and then it finishes with with him to him be the glory forever and ever amen and that's just a reminder to us that we can become really self important we can think that it's all about ourselves and it's all about what I do and it's all about not what I do but what each of us do. But there's more to it than that for us. Um, I was speaking on on Monday evening at Napier Christian Union and uh, this passage was being children of light from Ephesians chapter 5 and one of the things I said uh, and it kind of struck me at the time was that when we understand the glory of God it's about recognizing that we're more serious about God than we are about ourselves. And that's that's a really challenging thought that, you know, so often we are bedded and our lives are grounded in me, in my life, and and me kind of being, I guess, symbolically on the throne of everything. And yet understanding who God is through his word and through Jesus Christ and our relationship with him reminds us that we're more serious about the living God in our lives than necessarily we are about ourselves. And that immediately changes the way we think it, may, it changes the way we look at other people. It changes the way we worship. It changes the way we respond to things because we see that God has a purpose and his glory is something that matters to us. We put his honor, we put his grace, we put his glory, we put his name uh, before uh, our own. I did a wedding yesterday just along the road in the Signet Library and uh, I read from the Song of Solomon which speaks about the jealousy of love. And I was speaking about that jealousy can be a really bad thing when we're jealous in a bad way, but it can also be a good thing when we we care about someone's person, their name, their honor, their character, where we're protective of them. And in many ways, that's what knowing about the glory of God is, and putting it first in our church, not necessarily our personal desires and likes and, and longings, but we want to do things, our decisions, our actions, and our relationships aligned to the will of God to bring him glory. And that's a constant challenge for us. It's a challenge in our leadership meetings. It's a challenge in your city groups. It's a challenge uh, when you meet one another. It's a challenge to your commitment. It's a challenge to lots of things that we recognize who God is, that he is there as the one worthy of our worship because of who he is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. We love him and we seek Because we've been made by him to bring him the glory. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, uh, the second pillar or foundation, I guess, of our church, is the gospel itself. And uh, the the whole of Romans is about the gospel. This chapter is about the gospel of God. And it's the gospel which transforms our lives, as Paul says in verse 2. It renews us. And the gospel we recognize and see is good news. Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17, uh, remind us of that at the beginning of this book that Paul writes. When he speaks about the gospel, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For the righteousness from God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so we recognize that the gospel and what it means is foundational to the way we relate to one another and the way we relate to God. That gospel being founded on uh, historical fact, that the root of the problems we face congregationally, relationally, in our families, in the workplace, in society, and what a week this has been again in society, isn't it? What brokenness, what brutality, what pointless suffering and death and misery. Not just when it hits home in our own capital city, but throughout the world. And that we believe and we uh, hope in the good news of the gospel, that our judicial guilt before God, the brokenness and the selfishness and the pride is dealt with by Jesus Christ, by what he came to do. It speaks into the evil of the world in which we live, not just a third-person person, uh, everyone else's problem point of view, but into our own needs and into our own sins and our own feelings and our own faults. And that perspective and that challenge also is foundational to our church life. It's foundational to the way we think about what is a priority and how we speak to people and how we deal with one another. It's a gospel that is to bring joy and peace. In other words, It's to be tangible in our community and tangible in our decision-making and in all that we are. It's a gospel of peace. God lives in us and with us and among us and is changing us, and we seek to live the kinds of life that reflect that. We will teach Jesus here, and we will keep teaching Jesus here, no matter the temperature in the congregation building, heat-wise, uh, or your longing to to do or say or think or um, focus on other things, we never move beyond the gospel because the gospel is shallow enough for infants to paddle in and deep enough for elephants to swim. It both meets the needs of the newly converted person and the needs of the long Uh, standing mature believer it deals with the child in nursery and the ph student phd student at new college or whatever else they might happen to be because the gospel permeates the news uh, from god from genesis to revelation we don't graduate from that truth and we never uh, become uh, aloof beyond that truth I'm not to say that we just uh, preach a, a narrow and simplistic gospel all the time, but we allow the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ to interpret and to be at the core of all we understand in uh, the Christian faith. And uh, sometimes you have other priorities. Sometimes other things seem more important to us in church life or in our personal lives. Uh, At best, it can be secondary to us. At worst, it can be absolutely insignificant. And our uh, uh, our call, our clarion call is consistently to return to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to the glory of God. So that's the second thing. The third thing is grace. And again, all of Paul's teaching is permeated by grace. And he starts verse 3 by saying, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, and so on, And therefore, that gospel of Jesus Christ is reflected in the grace that we have received and in uh, the practice of that in our lives. So in St. Columbus here, we seek not to be defined by race or by status or by education or by your relationships or your marriage or your singleness, uh, but by the indwelling of God's Spirit by the reality that we are a people who have been changed by grace and we seek that profession among our people that we are a people who have recognized our need of God's grace and are molded and transformed and their lives are permeated by his grace we want our city groups to be grace incubators and indeed the church uh, on a sunday as well to be grace incubators We don't just want it to be a kind of spiritual petrol station where you come along, get filled up, and go away again. We don't just want it to be a gathering place where you occasionally dip your character and your personality into. We don't want these Wednesday evenings simply to be a Bible study, but to be a place where we develop our understanding of grace in meaningful relationships, that we allow time for that. And that we are a people who have tried, we're a congregation, have tried not to be program-based, but rather relationship-based, working out grace and giving each other time to live great, not just with one another, but to build relationships with those who don't know Christ and Christianity and show them grace, show them grace both in our own responses to them and as we introduce them to our Christian friends who we seek to know and uh, act in a graceful way. So the the passage beyond Romans 12 that we read from verse 9 onwards is just a very practical outworking of that grace. You know, and we we don't have time to look at it, but it's a hugely significant outworking of grace. And this is the the kind of people that you are to be and I am to be, both privately in our home uh, on our own, with other people, we are to be those who are, I'll just listen to very quickly, sincere, who are devoted, who are zealous, joyful, who share with one another, who are hospitable, who bless those who curse us, who are rejoicing together, mourning together, in harmony with one another, humble, at peace. And these are practical everyday challenges that we seek to that we hope are pillars of our church. We don't want to be a people who know the truth intellectually and who revel in that truth, but don't live it in the tough realities when we are hurt by fellow Christians, when they are insensitive, when they are careless, when we fail as leaders, when other people in our eyes fail, when we lack showing common sense to one another and that's difficult because very often it's not how we're used to living and it's not how we're used to responding to one another in our lives because so much of what we do is defending who we are defending our position because we uh, uh, feel that that is important i think i don't know if i said this on uh, monday night Napier as well. If I do, I forgive ask the guys that were at Napier to forgive me again. But very often that whole thing about the glory of God or being Christians and living out Christianity in our lives is that we we feel that God is on our side. You know, God's in our that's Christians think God's on our side. And that what that means often is that when people disagree with us, either in the church or outside of the church or in our lives. we're very defensive because, or or we're very protective of our position because, well, God's on my side because I'm a Christian. And yet I think the the angle we should take in these things is not so much as God on my side, because you may be arguing with fellow Christians or it may be a matter of of not great significance, but rather in our lives our perspective is, am I on God's side? Rather than God being always on my side, am I on God's side? Am Am I acting gracefully here? Am I doing what God would want me to do? Am am I living for the glory of the gospel, for the glory of God, and and with grace in my heart? And that will always be a challenge because it moves the center of gravity from us again towards Him. As a spiritual family, uh, we seek to live out grace. Uh, To put it another way, let's institutionalize grace. And that seems a paradox. You can't do that, can you? but let's make it something that really motivates and moves and drives all we do. Okay, very briefly, we've looked at glory, gospel, grace, and then lastly, growth. Four spiritual pillars that I think are important to us as a congregation. And 2 Peter 3.18 also speaks about that at the end, this great doxology. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forevermore. And so... We, we want to be growing, okay? I made that statement right here and now. We want to be growing both personally and as a church. We don't just want to stop. We don't want to be treading water. We want to be growing. We want to be learning more. We want to see more people coming to faith. We want to see Edinburgh transformed for and by the gospel. We want to have spiritual ambition, in other words, uh, by faith. We're not cont- I'm not content for us just to stay the way we are comfortable and neat and we know most people here i want a holy restlessness within us a holy restlessness for more personally in our christian lives but also for more spiritually driving us into the place of impossibility all the time. So, uh, be quiet us stop this nonsense let's just hold on at what we've got let's just stop now and hold on no let's move forward with the, with the gospel currently we're wrestling with the concept of growth we're longing I'm longing to see more conversion growth, people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, If we understand our calling to the city and to the gospel in the city, we want to see that and we want to plant more churches that we're reaching into communities. We want to be multiplying churches and carrying on doing that. Uh, I want us to be part of that movement that's happening in Edinburgh and to continue inspiring others in the same way, in partnership. I don't think we can stop here. If we're to be ascending church, if we're to move forward with the gospel, we're probably going to be twice as big as we are now, if not more. We're going to fill all the galleries with people who will resource growth, both uh, in themselves and with their gifts and with their prayers and with their money and with everything that they are. At the, the moment we, we are here in St. Columbus, we're stretched to the limit in terms of staff uh, coping with uh, at our capacity to look after and protect and and lead the congregation at the size it is. And and we're undergoing a review. We've got a Christian consultant from outside the congregation giving us practical advice. This is is our spiritual pillars. But we need practical advice to how best we can use the resources we have and how to multiply these resources and how to communicate that need to you uh, by way of vision. And I think over the next few months we'll explain a little bit more About that, but there is such a great need, and such a great need to pray, and such a great need to trust. Uh, Both pray together and uh, pray on our own. So these are our pillars: the gospel, the glory of God, the grace of God, and the growth that comes from Him. That is that they are the four G pillars on which we want to build strategy and vision and all that we are. And I just want to remind you of that today. Okay, briefly. Uh, just uh, vision was the first part. Givings is the second part, and uh, nobody uh, wants to hear this part of any sermon. No preacher wants to preach it to be honest i, I don 't know any preacher that likes preaching on givings uh, and, and that 's kind of a false humility really isn 't it because we 're not preaching, uh, but I, I guess part of it is because you know in, in the world, the church gets a bad name for trying to Get money off people and stuff like that. And so it makes a difficult uh, area to deal with. But the Bible does deal with that and speak about it a lot. And it is is a spiritual thing. And it's, again, a reflection of our understanding of God and of grace and of the gospel and of who he is. So I guess for for this Sunday only, this is the fifth G. If we've looked at the four G's in uh, uh, our kind of vision, this is the the other one. And it really is, in a sense, I hope it's a, a product of the other four. Because the Bible does talk about giving, but it also broadens it a great deal. It's not just about what we give financially. It's about giving ourselves, and that's really uh, at the core of it. So it does reflect our understanding of God uh, and who God is. You know, uh, verse 15 of this chapter 9, that we, we didn't actually read, it's the end of the chapter, but it says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So it, it is, refle- it, again, it, it It stems from our understanding of God and of grace and of who He is. The way He treats us. What a God He is in Christ. His incredible generous grace. That it it consistently forgives us. It consistently accepts us. He consistently takes us back. He consistently says, I know, I understand. You're sorry and I accept you because the price has been paid. Because He has gone and dealt with everything that we were culpable towards him about and he has dealt with that and uh, he shows that not just only to us as christians but to our friends and and neighbors who aren't christians he pours out everyday grace every breath they take every smile that they show every gift that they receive in this life is because god allows them to live and receive and is patient with them for us he holds nothing back not only in his life and in his death and resurrection, but in his continued giving of himself in the Holy Spirit, in our lives, in his ongoing intercession for us, in the inheritance he's holding for us, uh, looking forward in his relentless and ongoing forgiveness to us. And I do think that in terms of giving, sacrificial giving, whether it's our lives or, or whatever it is, our material possessions or whatever, it reflects our understanding of God. So if he's, if, he, if he's a miserable, tight-fisted, grumpy, horrible sort of a person, then that's how that's reflected in the way that we live our lives as Christians. If he's small and narrow and bigoted and insular, then that's how we, that's reflected in, in what we give back to him in our lives, and it reflects our understanding of this generous God. The prodigal son, forget it it's the prodigal God that 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 should be called. That great prodigality of the Father is what we're reminded of uh, in Scripture. So generosity comes from our understanding of who God is in our lives, and also uh, it therefore reflects the attitude of our heart in terms of giving, whether it's serving uh, or, 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 or however in our offerings or givings, It's to be done, as David read from that passage, cheerfully. Each one must decide what in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And isn't that good? Isn't that great that that's what God asks of us and reminds us of, that the attitude of our heart is reflected in the generosity of our God and therefore in the generosity of Uh, what we do we want to give him the best because he is the best for us Uh, we are people of the second chance so we open our homes and we open our hearts and we open our lives and we open our wallets even we share our gifts and our, our characters and all that we are and humanly speaking our lives have been enriched hugely by the generosity of people to us both as a church and i'm sure many of us as individuals and uh, it's a great thing to receive that but it's also a beautiful thing to give and to be the person who uh, brings light into other people's lives so it's an attitude of heart it's also something that harbors no loss you will will not be god's debtor when you serve and sacrifice and give to him uh, from what he has given God's grace will abound to you uh, uh, and will abound to us all. He's given, he's promised us all we need and he will supply for us. As he says in verse 10, a rich spiritual harvest. You know, it it, it talks elsewhere of uh, being generous to God because the cattle in a thousand hills are his. And he constantly is reflected as one for whom we cannot be in debt to in our lives. And uh, this generosity is, we are given a biblical example. We didn't read it here. It's in the previous uh, uh, previous chapter uh, where the generosity uh, is encouraged by giving an example of it. And uh, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, and he's given the example of the Macedonian churches who were in great poverty but who gave as they could generously happily willingly to help other churches at the point of their need and beyond their ability to help it was that whole kind of generous voluntary spirit Uh, and he uses them as a great example Uh, they saw giving as an opportunity to serve Uh, i'm not sure if we often feel like that uh, sometimes uh, if we see it as an opportunity of serve for some people in biblical and romans the passage we first read speaks about that, that there are some that have a special gift of generosity a, a unique gift of generosity um uh, that isn't there for everyone and that's a wonderful thing but the biblical example is for us all to recognize uh, and to learn from and so uh, i i think it's a challenge for us now with this i close uh, as you can see Rather uncomfortable with this whole concept uh, of, of from my position, sharing it. But I have to get over that uh, because it's for, I believe, for the gospel and for the gospel's sake and for the growth of the gospel. The challenge is for us to think of the needs uh, that will allow us to move forward with the gospel. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher of the 19th century, tells of receiving a wealthy man's invitation to come and preach at his rural church to help the members raise funds to pay off a debt that they had. And the man also told Spurgeon that he was free to use his country house, his townhouse, or his seaside home to stay in. Spurgeon wrote back, sell one of the places and pay the debt yourself. And and that was the challenge to to that man in that situation, uh, in, in that Christian community in which he was. And the challenge for us is to rise to what God has brought us to here. Uh, We want to see the gospel flourish. We want to be generous people of our time, of our homes, of our love, uh, of our uh, givings. We want our hearts and our lives to be focused on that kind of loose, sacrificial, reckless liberating generous hearted spirit, giving of ourselves to all who are around us, and that, that is really the greatest need we have. And when we grow, things will change here. Things are already things have changed. It's harder for sometimes as the church grows, it becomes more impersonal and all these things. But let's not just not become hedgehogs and, and, and look to be defensive about that. But to blossom and to to rise to the challenge. Of, of what growth means for us. God has been so good. God has been really good to us in St. Columbus materially uh, and, and I think spiritually also, I hope, and pray spiritually. And it is humbling. It's, it's amazing to see this, even this building now at the, the level it is at, even when the heating doesn't work perfectly. Uh, but it is good and it is a great resource. But that's only a tiny bit of how we've managed by god's grace and his generosity to plant new churches to to put people in there and to see the gospel flourish and grow in these places so i go to them and i don't know 80% of the people anymore in these churches because they're new to the gospel and they're new to christ and that's a great encouragement we want to seize cornerstone and esk valley to be standing on their own we want to support the potential new church plant in haddington and another 10 or Twelve church plants throughout the city to reach out into communities that we can't reach with the gospel. Uh, we recognise that there's a cost to that, both physically, um, uh, relationally, um, administratively, uh, and spiritually. But there's a huge cost. So the challenge is for us, I think, to to look at our own lives before God and to seek to be sacrificial and uh, generous according to what we have not according to what we don't have it's great to be regularly financially supporting the work of the gospel here a few couple of years ago we talked about 10th for strength and that whole concept in the bible of giving a 10th to the work of the gospel to teach our children about that and in many ways isn't that great that god says well you know this is a kind of rough guide uh one tenth nine nine tenths Nine-tenths, well, it's still mine, but, you know, use it wisely. But 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 for the cause of the gospel, a tenth maybe, uh, maybe more, sacrificially. At the moment, I think probably in the congregation, and this is very practical, forgive me, we've got 71 standing orders to to keep the the work. It would be brilliant to raise it to 100. It would be great to have that ongoing work that would allow us to support ministry here and support growth and support uh, church planting it's a great investment there's no risk on return the return is guaranteed it's an incalculable multiplication of the benefit physically that you give spiritually there will be a spiritual harvest if you have nothing to give If you have very little to give, give from that. If you have lots to give, give from that. But there will be a spiritual harvest, and God will honor that. If you make it a foundation of your life, you will never, God will never be in your debt. And he will never let you be in that position. It's an eternal investment that we're talking about for the sake of the gospel and the sake of this city that we love and beyond, that we understand who he is, and that generosity marks who we are in, in every dimension of our lives. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Let's forget about the financial thing for a moment. Isn't it a beautiful thing to be a generous, generously minded congregation? Generous in the way we receive others, in the way we forgive others, in the way that we consider others, in the way that we share what we have with others in the name of christ i think that's a great reflection of his grace and of who he is and of what he has done for us amen let's pray briefly father god we thank you for who you are we thank you for uh, the remarkable generosity of of uh um, inexhaustible god Inexhaustible in love and in power and in justice and in purity in ways that we simply can't fathom. Forgive us when we shrink you down so often into the kind of people we think you ought to be. And rather than being accountable to you and recognizing your glory, we want to make you accountable to us. We want you in the dock. We want you to justify who you are. Uh, We want you to be uh, dethroned uh, so that we might be sovereign in our own lives. And Lord, we have been created to think and act otherwise. And we thank you for Jesus Christ who enables us by his sacrificial rescue to think and live otherwise and may we do so in a radical way uh, in a way that challenges us each morning as we look in the mirror about our spiritual lives and how we act and how we respond give us generous heartedness generous heartedness towards other people thinking the best of them not passing on gossip not being quick to condemn or criticize but recognizing who we are and being generous in all that we are and do towards one another and give us a generosity towards those who we love who don't know jesus that we will give for them and share with them and pray for them and spend lots of time with you pleading for their souls and loving them with all the ability that we have. Lord, forgive us when we are mean spirited and mean uh, in our lives and live only for ourselves because we know ultimately its destructiveness and its brutality. So help us today, we pray, and bless what we give financially to the cause. May it reflect our attitude to Jesus. May we have just a a great overflow of generosity for the work of the gospel, both here and uh, abroad and uh, individual case uh, people that we support and poverty and, and everything that we are. Help us, Lord, we pray, and enable us to be a generous church. For Jesus' sake, amen.